Thank you, worship team, very much. We're going to be in Judges 20 and 21 today. If you brought your Bible, you can go ahead and turn there while we get ready. Judges 20 and 21 and 22. So we find ourselves at the end of this book today. However, before we get into it, we bow with me. Father, I'm grateful for each soul that you've brought here this morning. And Lord, I pray that you would please honor your word preached. Lord, I pray that you've already been preparing our hearts in worship as we sing. Help us to continue to worship you, Lord, as we respond rightly to the truth preached. Father, of course, I ask that you would please guard my mouth from saying anything wrong. I pray, Lord, that you would help me to only speak the truth. Lord, as we um, approach these last two chapters of Judges that are just as shocking as the previous one, was, Lord, I pray, of course, that we would be warned, that we would see that we are not far from this should we also um, turn away from the truth. So, Lord, I pray that this book has been a good warning for us and would help us know our true nature, but also know your wonderful nature. Give us grace now, please, to focus on the truth and to hear clearly from your spirit speaking to us today. And I pray this in Jesus' perfect name. Amen. Welcome again, and thank you again, worship team. Really, really excellent this morning. Excellent. Judges 20 and 21, we find ourselves at the end of the book of Judges. This sermon will wrap things up. We're going to finish off both 20 and 21 and, and finish up the book. Because the nature of the content... Of these chapters, I'll again go away from my normal way of doing things, which, just like I did last week, uh, that normal way of doing things is a normal. I read a large portion of scripture and then walk through it. We have a mixed crowd in here this morning with different ages, and I will just implore you to read these chapters on your own, please. Uh, I won't be reading a large portion this morning, but still covering them, still. Um, summarizing them uh, because the events of these chapters really uh, make up the pinnacle of the book. It's the peak. It's the apex. It's the, the culmination of all that we've seen happening so far in the book of the Judges as we've looked at Israel's leaders and how Israel's leaders have affected Israel's people. And they continually, progressively, turn their back on God's word, and therefore they find themselves void of God's ways and void of God's wisdom, walking continuously into their own folly. They're continually enticed. They're continually tempted to follow the false gods of the nations around them. You see, because these gods of the nations, they can be seen. They are idols, These gods are made of silver and gold. They have the appearance of success wrapped all around them. Silver, gold, precious things. Because these gods have a physical appearance, you can lay your eyes upon them. They seem more substantial. They seem more tangible than Yahweh, the invisible God who can't be seen. And so they get lured away again and again to things that look successful, things that are tangible, you can touch, you can see, you can actually look at it and bow down to it. 
and they keep falling into this trap again and again. We're given to the lust of the eyes, which always leads us into the lusts of the flesh. The lust of the eyes always leads us into the lusts of the flesh. And so what we find, again, I'm going to summarize these chapters for us. Chapter 19 ended in a horrific way. The 11 tribes of Israel that gathered together at Mizpah on account of the, I'll just put it this way, the, the message they all received. They all received a message in a certain way. Again, just read the chapters for yourselves. And they asked this Levite. Remember the Levite from our last chapter? This is not the young Levite that we heard about. This is another Levite who has the concubine and then sends the concubine out to a mob of wicked men and she dies at the hands of these wicked men and she dies in sad, horrific ways. But they asked the Levite, because all the tribes of Israel, the 11 tribes of Israel that are not Benjamin, because Benjamin's the tribe that's guilty of this wicked crime, the Benjamites there at Gibeah are the ones who do this wicked thing. And after, they get the, after the 11 tribes get the message that this Levite sent, they all gather together at a place called Mizpah. And they ask the Levite to tell them, to recount to them what happened. We will look at verses 4 and 5 in chapter 20, though. Look there with me. Chapter 20, verses 4 and 5. The Levite, the husband of the woman who was murdered, answered and said, I came to Gibeah, that belongs to Benjamin, I and my concubine, to spend the night. And the leaders of Gibeah rose against me and surrounded the house against me by night. They meant to kill me. They violated my concubine, and she's dead. Again, this is the culmination. This is what we might call the crescendo of this book. It shows just the, the tragedy of the human condition when we go away from the Word of God. That's why I've titled the message today, The Tragedy of the Human Condition, because, as you might recall, that's actually the title I gave to the entire book, the entire series. I gave it this title, The Tragedy of the Human Condition, and I'm ending this portion, this, this series, with the same title. And what we saw there was the apex, this horrific act that these men did. And he says to these people, all the tribes gathered together, they meant to kill me and they violated my concubine. And she said, yes, they did that. And it's interesting because at the end of verse 6, in your own Bible, you can see that. The Levite charges these wicked men. He says they committed abomination and outrage in Israel. Isn't it interesting that this Levite says they committed abomination and they committed outrage well, I would ask this Levite, by what standard, Levite? By what standard do you believe that this was an abomination and an outrage? I believe it was. But I believe that because the Word of God says such things are. This Levite had turned from the Word of God. We saw that last week. He made up his own rules. He'd done his own thing. So did his concubine. She was guilty of adultery with him. We saw that. They're not living according to the Word of God. They've abandoned it. They do their own thing, just like we hear multiple times in this book, that there was no king in Israel, everyone what was doing what was right in his own eyes. So I would just ask this Levite, by what standard, Levite, do you believe this is an abomination and an outrage? What do you have to stand on? Because you've turned away from the word of God, you've made your own rules, 
So if you think, in your own mind, by your own rules, that what they did was an abomination and an outrage, what if they think it's good? What if these wicked men who did this horrible thing, what if they said, well, we don't think it's bad to do that. We actually enjoyed it. Who are we to say they're wrong if there's no actual standard of truth? When you go away from God's word and believe it to be foolishness and folly and flush it down the toilet, you can't make absolute moral claims because you're making them based on your own opinions. And what if my opinions differ from your opinions? Who's right? Once we abandon the word of God, we're on sinking sand because we have no true rock to base anything upon. That's why I want to encourage all of you, anytime you're having any type of moral conversation with anyone, children, moral means uh, like right and wrong. Anytime you're having a conversation with anyone about what's right and wrong, and you simply try to just reason with them, you simply try to just use tradition, well, for thousands of years it's been this way, and for thousands of years we've seen that, that, that this works. Okay, maybe you're right. But if you leave the Bible out of it, you're coming to a, a gunfight with just nothing. You, you didn't bring your ammo. You didn't bring your weapon. You have nothing except your own reason. So don't abandon your greatest asset. This Levite had abandoned his greatest asset, which is why I'm saying to him, what right do you have to call this an abomination or an outrage? You're right, it is. But where do you get that, Mr. Levite? If you say, well, the word of God says so, then I'll say, well, it also says a lot about you. It says a lot about you as well. See, when we fall away from God's law, we become a law to ourselves, following our own sinful ways, but all the while expecting others to follow God's law. See, that's what this man was doing. He was wicked as well. How did the woman get in the clutches of these men who gang-raped her to death? How did she even get there? He handed her over. He did it. He leaves that detail out, by the way. Not to mention that. Think of the message that he sent to all these tribes. Think of how they found out about this. Who did that? He did it. It's interesting how so many people fall away from God's law, become a law to themselves, yet all the while expecting other people to follow God's laws. What do I mean by that? Thieves become outraged when someone steals from them, right? Liars get mad when someone lies to them. And cheaters get angry when they're cheated on. Rules for thee, but not for me. You know that one, right? These double standards, they're all over the place in our world, in our nation especially. These double standards, people that have thrown God's word away, become a law to themselves, make up their own rules, but yet don't like it whenever others don't obey the right rules. Say others should obey the rules. I can steal, but you dare not steal from me. I can lie, but don't you ever lie to me. I can cheat, but you better not ever cheat on me. Says who? 
Says who? See, God's word applies equally to all of us, and his law rightly condemns us all since we've all broken it. Which is why we all also have to repent and turn to God and believe in the one way that he made for us to be saved, and that's through Jesus Christ. That's the only way for man to be saved. There's no other name given among men by which we must be saved. Save the name Jesus Christ, is what the scripture says. That's the only way to heaven. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Very exclusive, Christianity is. Very exclusive. We say there is one way, not a mountain with a lot of roads all leading to the top. Nope. It is a narrow way and a narrow gate. And Jesus is that entrance. Only Jesus. And if we'll repent of our sins, agreeing with God that they're wrong, agreeing with God that we've broken his law, and also agreeing that God gave the one who is the law keeper, keeps the law on our behalf, and also absorbs the wrath that should fall on us because we're lawbreakers, then we have forgiveness, trusting only in that one way. Listen, if you get this, if you get this, you're miles ahead of millions of people on planet Earth. And just this little bit of knowledge that I've shared with you right now, this is the way of salvation, and it's the only way to be saved. But the way is narrow. Few there be that find it. Few there be that find it. In verses 8 through 10, I mean 11 rather, on account of what the Levite tells them, all the Israelites were told, gather together as one man, as one man against the people of Gibeah. They're outraged that this was done, as they should be. It was very wicked, very wicked. They should look at the man, though. They should look at the Levite and say, how did she get in that predicament? We want more information. Instead, they just react any time. You just react rashly without getting all the details first, finding everything out. Your sense of justice will always be misplaced. And so the 11 tribes come together in their anger and in their commitment to do away with these wicked men in Gibeah. And in verses 12 through 17 we learned that there's Benjamites that are scattered around in other parts. It's not like Gibeah was the only stronghold of, of Benjamites in the whole place. No, there's, there's other Benjamites here and there as well. And they're scattered around. And as the Israelites speak to them and they say, hey, you guys are Benjamites. However, there are Benjamites here and we'd like you to join with us as we retaliate against them for this wicked act that you've heard of. Instead, those Benjamites go to Gibeah and gather there to defend those men who did that wicked act simply because they're of the tribe of Benjamin just as they are. Let me ask you this question. Do you back your brother's play even when he's wrong? Do you back your brother's play even when he's wrong? Or sister's play? You know what I mean by that phrase. Is blood thicker than water? Which children, that's a, that's a phrase that means when someone says blood's thicker than water, what they mean by that is 
Family relationships are supposed to be stronger than other relationships. That's what they mean when they say that. But is blood thicker than water when there's been the shedding of blood? Or do you condone sinfulness in a family member that you'd never condone in another? Or do you make excuses for the sins of those you love that you'd be quick to condemn in others? These are serious questions. I'm, I'm, I'm really asking you this because... We'll, we'll quickly fall into this if we're not careful. We'll look at someone else and say, ooh, he's bad. That's bad. That, that should not have happened. But then a loved one does something similar, and we side with the loved one. Or, or we make excuses for the loved one. This is what the tribe of Benjamin was doing. They were saying, yes, what they did was horrible. Yes, they're homosexuals, and yes, they did this horrible act as well on top of that. But they're Benjamites. They're our brothers. So we're going to fight with them against y'all. Forget what's true. We're going to side with them because they're like us. And throw truth out the window. Listen to what Matthew 10, 34 through 36 says. This is Jesus speaking. Do not think that I have come to bring peace on earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Now what does he mean by this? Because this does not sound like the Jesus I learned about in Sunday school. This one sounds mean. He basically said, I came to break up families. The end. Get over it. No, that's not what he's saying. What he means is this. I came as the truth. And truth will always be separate from lies. And light will always be separate from darkness. And hope will always be separate from doubt and all these things. There's a separation when Jesus enters the room. If you just read through the book of John, you'll find three times phrases like this. And there was a separation. And there was, I'm sorry, it says division. And there was a division because of him. And there was a division because of his words. And they were divided over him. Truth divides. It just does. And the reason why Jesus is saying some will be set against others, even in the own family, even a father against a son and a daughter against a mother, a daughter-in-law against a mother-in-law. It's because of this. When you've been delivered out of the darkness, when you've been set free from your sin, when you've been taken and put into the light and experienced forgiveness and hope and glory, you're finally able to look back at the darkness, at your cage that you came out of and say, I will never go there again. Those are lies and that's foolishness and that's darkness and that is the family of Satan. And that's exactly what it is. However, those who are in the family of Satan not only don't believe that they're in the family of Satan, most of them don't even believe there is a Satan. Do you know why? Because that's the great ability, the deceiver has, he deceives, and he's very good at it. He's so good at it, he can make people believe that he doesn't even exist. 
And if you don't believe your enemy exists, number one, you don't see him as an enemy. Number two, you don't fight him because he's not there. What a great tactic he has. This is an amazing tactic to convince people who are in a dark, wicked, hellish dungeon that they're trapped in and that they'll die in and go to hell in to convince them that they're fine and they're not even trapped. They're free. And if they will live according to their own sinful ways for the present, that that's all they need. And they're fine and they're happy. No, 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 don't, don't, no, don't think about the future. Just exist here in the present. Just do what makes you happy today. You'll think about that other important stuff some other day. Just, just, just focus on what makes you happy today. Now, there's no heaven. There's no hell. Are you kidding? There's no God and there's no Satan. It's just you. Just do what makes you happy today, person. You'll think about that other stuff tomorrow. That's why that song by John Lennon, I loathe it so much. Imagine there's no heaven above and no hell below. No. Don't imagine that. Why would I want to imagine that? It's a false reality. Why would I ever want to imagine something that's not accurate? Imagine all the people living in peace. That's not ever going to happen until Jesus comes back because he is the one who brings peace ultimately in the end. However, right now on this earth, there will always be a division and Jesus will always divide and he'll even divide people in their own household because Jesus is better. And if he takes you out of the kingdom of Satan, you'll never want to go back, even if your own mother is still in it. You can't join her. And you would never join her in the kingdom of Satan because you're in the kingdom of Jesus now. You pray for your mother. You plead with her to leave and have her eyes opened. But you'll never join her there because it is the kingdom of Satan. And these men, these Benjamites, joined with their brothers because they were their brothers. And what a foolish thing to do, especially when you know they're wicked. They're evil. What they did was wicked and evil. Why, why would you try to protect someone who's worthy of justice when you know that they are? They should instead have called out for their punishment as well. Now, here's the thing. When we act rashly, when we act foolishly, just on our emotions, not on the truth, and not going to the word of God for counsel, like, what do we do with these men? How do we do this rightly? But instead, just react. You get what happened here. And what's interesting, what we find is the people of Israel, these 11 tribes, they go to Shiloh, where the house of God is, and they inquire of God, what what should we do? No, actually, they just say, who should attack them first? It's interesting. When they are in a dire time of war, that's when they go to God. Do you find yourself only going to God when there's pain, when there's great trauma, 
Is that the only time you go? That's the only time I used to go before I knew him. That's the only time I went. When there was tragedy. Remember after 9-11? I know some of you weren't born yet, but remember after 9-11? Our churches were full. Remember that? I'm not sure that that would happen again today, but it did back then. I hope it would, but I'm not sure it would. The churches were full. For how long? About a month. And then went back to normal. It was this horrible tragedy where I got serious about God. And then once they saw, oh, there's no more airplanes. Oh, we're going to go get the bad guy. Okay. Let's go back to doing what we were doing. And I wish we weren't like that as a people, but we see them doing that here as well, only going to God when times were dire. Now they overreact. <laughs> really unfortunate. They overreact in their sense of justice to go after these people who did this wicked thing. And granted, they, they should be punished for what they did. It was, a, it was a horrible thing, but so should the Levite. He had a hand in this. Whenever we're in the book of Numbers, you know that, that's one of those books that you love to read right before you go to bed as well because it's all these counting of all these nations and all these people. And, right? but what we find right after the Exodus, we get... A census is taken in the book of Numbers. Numbers 137 um, tells us that the number of Benjamites was 35,400. 35,400. There's a second census taken later on in the book of Numbers. Numbers 26, verse 41, then tells us that the number of Benjamites has grown to 45,600. 45,600. You got that number in your head? Well, the people of Israel decide by lot who needs to go after the tribe of Benjamin first. So they, they pick this group and they go after them. Well, the Benjamites are actually a lot more resilient than they seemed. So the Benjamites win this first battle. They, they overpower this first group of people that come against them. Then they, or they regroup the 11 nations. They, re, they regroup and they say, they say well, well now, now what do we do? They go back to God at Shiloh and say, hey, what should we do this time? Then another group is chosen and they go against the Benjamites and they lose again. Well, then they all rally together and they come up with a plan and they say, we're going to go against their city. We're going to draw them out. We're going to pretend like they're beating us once again. We're going to turn around and run away. And as they're chasing us, we're going to draw them all out of their city. And then we want you guys who are hiding in the woods around their city to run into their city and set it on fire. Then we've got them out far away from their resources. And then, they're going, and then we're going to turn back on them. And they're going to say, uh-oh, let's go back to the city. And they're going to turn around and see the flames, see the smoke. And then we're going to have them sandwiched in. And we're going to trap them in the middle and squash them. That's exactly what happened. Now, you might be thinking, that sounds familiar. Yes, it does. That's exactly what Joshua did. In Joshua chapter, I believe it was chapter 8, when he attacked the city of Ai. It's the exact same plan that the people of God used against a wicked nation in the previous book, the book of Joshua. So if you were reading the book of Judges at this point, you'd say, hey, wait a second. That's exactly the same tactic that Joshua used to defeat the enemies of God. And now Israel is using it against Israel. And we're supposed to see this. We're supposed to see what a tragic 
thing has befallen the people of God. Look how messed up they are now. Look at what they're doing to themselves. They're killing themselves. My question, though, is not just um, how could they do this. My question is even more important. How'd they even get to that point in the first place? And you know the answer. They strayed away from the truth. The further you stray away from the truth, the worse you get. It's a cancer. It eats things up. Listen to James 1, 14 through 16. James 1, 14 through 16. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desires. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. Then he ends with this. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Why give a warning like that unless it's possible to be deceived? Don't be, don't be deceived about what, James? What I just said. That you can get away with your sin. That you think sin can just be contained in this isolated little bubble. I just have my sin over here. I hide it. No one knows about it. And everything will be fine. Listen to what Warren Wiersbe said. When sin isn't exposed, confessed, and punished... It pollutes society and defiles the land. When sin isn't exposed, confessed, and punished, it pollutes society and defiles the land. And that's what we see. That's where we are in this book. I mean, think about, think about how we've come forward in this book so far. What all have we seen in this book? Wickedness, idolatry, fornication, theft, adultery, homosexuality, rape, murder, war, and we're going to see next, kidnapping. Have you ever been to uh, some type of musical event, even a concert, but, but mainly I'm thinking of like some type of orchestra. They have what I used, I used the word earlier, they have a crescendo, usually at the end of the song or the end of the great event. What is that, a crescendo? It's when things are building up, getting a little bit louder, a little bit louder, and then they peek into this loud part and everybody's playing the loud part and it's very beautiful usually and moving and wow, get your blood pumping, your eyes wide. Or our, our blood's pumping and our eyes are wide at this crescendo, but it's not for a joyous reason. 600 Benjamites are left after this war. We started out with at least, there may have been more, but we know at least that the hard number that we know is 45,600 total Benjamites, at least at the second census in the book of Numbers. There may have been more by this point. There probably were. But even if we just stayed there, 45,600 have now been reduced down to 600 men. That is 1.3% of the tribe of Benjamin left. 1.3%, that's all that's left, they devoured over 98% of the tribe of Benjamin. And then the people of Israel say, oh my gosh, what have we done? We swung too far. Now what should we do? And we usually do that when we act out of our own sinful actions. We just react. We almost always swing too far, don't we? 
We almost always do. Think about when you've reacted just in anger to something. You just, oh, I'm angry. You say things you shouldn't do or do things you shouldn't do. and You always have to go back and say, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said that. Sorry. I shouldn't have done that. I went too far, right? That's what we see here. Sin takes hold. They go too far. Only 600 men are left. And now they've got this dilemma. We don't see them going back to God after this. They only went to God when they wanted to know, how do we win this war? How do we squash these fools? That's when they wanted God. They don't consult him anymore in the rest of this book, in the rest of their dilemma. They don't go to him and they say, Lord, we went too far. We did wrong. We know how we got ourselves in this foolish place, in in the first place, and it's our fault. Please, please help us. Be more like you. We've strayed away from your word, and now we see, oh gosh, we've almost destroyed a whole tribe. What do we do? They didn't do that. They used their own wisdom. And this is what they end up doing. There was another group of people. There was a town called Jabesh Gilead. They didn't participate in the meeting and then the war to go against the Benjamites. They didn't come. They said, we're not having any part of this. Well, then the 11 tribes that got together, they said, hey, you know what? Those guys at Jabesh Gilead, they didn't even come to help us. So let's go retaliate against them. And so what they did was they said, and this is how we'll get wives for these 600 Benjamites that are left over because we need this tribe to come back. We've almost squashed it out forever. So now what should we do? Let's go attack this town, kill all those people, and look for some virgins and bring them back. And that's what they did. They attacked that town that didn't help them. <laughs> just, yeah, I mean, I see Trish shaking her head because it's like, yeah, we're, we're supposed to read this and say, excuse me? What? You, you, th- that's your plan. We killed too many people. What should we do? I guess kill more people. But we do that in real life too. I don't mean we kill extra people. But we'll do things like this. Hey, this sinful thing didn't work for me. Maybe I should double down on it. And maybe that'll fix it. We do that. We do that. Hey, um, so I'm in trouble with this thing. I think I'll lie. Oh, I'm sort of getting found out on my lie. I think I'll, I'll double down and make the lie more complex now, right? Oh, I've gambled this money away. So I think what I'll do to fix it is I'll gamble again and try to win it back, right? We do those things. Why? Because we're sick in our souls when we rest on our own wisdom. And so all these 11 tribes of Israel go attack Jabesh Gilead, kill all the people. They find 400 virgins, and they take these virgins, and they say, here's 600 men. Here's these women. Marry them. And they say, well, we've got a deficit here. There's still 200 that we don't have. And they said, well, yeah, but we all made a promise When we came together for that first meeting, none of us will ever give our daughters to be married to a Benjamite. They made that rule when they were all mad. 
They said, this is, we're going to lay down some rules here. None of us will ever give our daughters to be married to a ugh, filthy Benjamite, will we? Heck no. And they made an oath. So they said, well, we've basically uh, killed and then taken these women, but we still don't have enough. So now what do we do? Well, there's nobody left to give wives to them because we can't. We broke that rule. And someone had the great idea in chapter 21 and says, you know, there's that festival in Shiloh every year where all the virgins get up and they dance and they do this whole dance number and we all clap and celebrate. And it's just funsies, right? It's all fun. Since we're not supposed to give our daughters, what about if us certain number of men hide and while those women are dancing we go kidnap 200 of them that way we're not actually giving the women and we keep our oath and you know what they say that'll work it's a good idea that way we still are men of our word (laughs) oh wow do you see what happens here when you rest on man's wisdom Do you see what happens when you throw God's wisdom away and say, I think I'm going to do this my way. How's that working out, Israel? And how's it worked out for you, church, when you've rested on your own wisdom? When you said, I think I'll do things my way. I've got a great idea. I'll do what I want to do, throwing God's word in the trash, and surely it'll work. I know what God says, but he's probably wrong. Then on the backside of it, what do you get? Guilt, loss, shame. Some people lose everything. Some people lose their lives. This isn't a scare tactic. I'm not up here trying to do one of those judgment house things where I try to get you emotionally uh, distraught and make you make a decision for Jesus. I'm not doing that. What I'm doing is being a good leader, telling you the truth telling you that there are consequences for sin, and some of them never, ever go away. Thankfully, some of the consequences do. There's one consequence, which is hell. That one can go away, because that consequence was absorbed on your behalf by Jesus Christ. However, some consequences that we find here on earth, they, they, they stick with us, just like this tribe of Benjamin is destroyed. So they kidnap these women, and they try to bring back the people of Israel. And it's just a sad situation. All this carnage, all this destruction, this war, the civil war, that led to the killing of over 45,000 Benjamites and over 30,000 other people of Israel. You know where it started? It started in the home of one Levite because this Levite didn't obey God's laws in his home it led to foolish choices that led to a whole nation going to war there's a quote as goes the home so goes the nation it's true it's true you want to change the nation we talked about this last time well a few times back you want to change the nation change your home want a godly nation make a godly home do your best to make a godly home i know sometimes that's not always in your power but what is in your power is to steer it that way 
I get it. Some people jump off the ship, and that's sad. I hate that too. But you steer the ship in a godly way because God's going to answer. You're going to answer to God, not the people who jumped off the ship. They're going to answer to God too, but you won't answer for them. You'll answer for you. You do your part, okay? You do your part in following God. God would have poured out so many blessings on these people. I'm telling you, he would have poured out so many blessings. How do I know that? Deuteronomy 28, just listen. And if you faithfully obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all his commandments that I command you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations, and all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you. If you obey the voice of the Lord your God, blessed shall you be in the city, blessed shall you be in the field, blessed shall, you, shall the fruit of your womb be, and the, fruit of your, and the fruit of the ground, and the fruit of your cattle, the increase of your herds, and the young of your flock, blessed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Blessed shall you be when you come in, and blessed shall you be when you go out. And it goes on for 14 verses, just all these blessings. He says, I will pour out so many blessings on you if you walk into obedience to my commands. And then for the rest of the chapter, he says, but cursed shall you be in this area, and cursed will you be in this area if you don't obey my commands, if you don't walk in my ways. And what do we see? The book of Judges, we get it, and sadly we get it in the rest of the Old Testament too because they continue to go back and forth when it comes to God. Let me read this quote also from Warren Wearsby. He just had so many good things to say about this, and he's so easy to understand. He just brings it right down on our level. I really recommend any of his writings to you. Listen to this, and I'll, I'll close with this, this point. When God's people refuse to obey God's word, the results are always tragic. The spiritual life of a church is crippled and eventually destroyed when the congregation shuts its eyes to sin and will not discipline offenders. There can never be unity among the people of God as long as some of them cover up sin and allow it to affect the body. There can never be unity among believers as long as, the, as, long as they cover up sin and allow it to affect the body. Now, that covering up of your own sin can affect the body. That's why individually, individually, we have to do what's right in our own households when it comes to that. If we're concealing sin in our own households, you better believe it does affect this church as well. Remember the gentleman that sinned? This was actually right before the battle of Ai in the book of Joshua. I know you're thinking, he said this was the conclusion. I said this is my concluding point. Still making the point. You might recall that after Jericho was taken, there was a, a man who went in and got some things out of that place that he was not supposed to. Achan. Remember Achan? He took some silver, he took some clothes, and he hid it. And because of his sin, people died in the next battle. Your sin can also affect this church. That's why we have to be serious about our own sins in our own households. Look at me. Your pastor is serious about his sin. Okay, I have to keep myself in check. I, ha I have to go to my wife and say, I'm sorry I did this. I'm sorry I did that. I shouldn't have done that. I have to go to my children and say, Daddy got too angry. Daddy was too grumpy at this. Okay? 
I, I have to do that too. Our sin affects the church as well. And look how their sin affected a, a nation. And that's the tragedy of the human condition when they're not serious about their own sin, when they're not serious about the word of God. The book ends by saying, last verse, at that time there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. At that time there was no king in Israel. But the next book, the book of Ruth, sets the stage for a king who is to come. And we'll get in that book starting next week. Will you pray with me? Father, I pray that you would please be helping us to see the tragedy of our own sinful condition, Lord, and to know, however, that there's hope for sinners in Jesus. He was punished as if he were these wicked men in this city who did this wicked thing. Lord, he absorbed the punishment for sinners who do horrific things, who then come to him in faith, confessing their sins and believing that he is the one who takes the wrath that should fall on us. So, Lord, we know that we have a sin bearer who's already taken the punishment for all of our wickedness. So please, Lord, help us to put our hope and trust in him and see the warning that the book of Judges gives us, Lord, as we look forward to the book of Ruth and find out that not all is lost, not by a long shot, you're orchestrating things to go exactly the way they need to to bring about your promised Messiah. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Cole.